Holding my chest. My legs and hands. Silence. Feeling the pressure. What? She was a fraud. It's a million bloody degrees out there. Oh, wind. I'm sorry if I said anything awful. Blessed lambs, of course. Why hadn't he got up to chop the capsicum? I was never a good reader. Ah, Immaculately bland. Anyway, it looks like... What do we do with this now? You're not even supposed to use the word fat. Boys like girls. When we were very young... I was back home in Norwich. Square Sound. You're listening to the audiobook podcast for the makers and listeners of audiobooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the audiobook podcast. The next two episodes will be presented as a part one and part two, speaking with two special guests, Lynn Kazali and Donna McGeorge, both authors, facilitators, speakers, and thought leaders who have taken separate approaches in their audiobook release. We thought it would be great to hear their post-recording and release stories so other authors can make informed choices through shared experiences when creating and distributing their own audiobooks. Our first interview will be with Lynn Kazali, the author of multiple independent books, including Agile-ish, Making Sense, Leader as Facilitator, Create Change, and Visual Mojo, as well as her title, Ish, that was recorded with Square Sound in 2019. Also, keep an eye out for Lynn's upcoming title, Better Ways of Thinking and Working. Lynn helps business owners, teams and organisations transition to better ways of thinking and working. And there is a lot of gold in her work that brings her listeners and readership a lot of success. So let's get into it. Thanks, Abby. Lynn, it's lovely to meet you and have you back into our studio. Thank you. It's such fun to be here and we haven't even started talking yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you was more and more we're finding authors out there who are uncertain about the path to take with creating an audiobook of their book. And so we just want to make some of those processes a bit more clear to people so they can then make an informed choice. So that's why we'd love to hear about your experience. You got in touch with us about. 18 months ago, mm-hmm. and you recorded last year in the middle of the year with our friend Pritvi, and then the audio release was a couple of months later. So how did you find the experience of coming in and narrating your own book? Yeah, you, you feel that daunting experience because you've been, you're probably up to your neck in the book already and perhaps a little tired of it. Indeed, yes. And then to think, oh, now I have to read my own book, but I had a bit of radio experience in my background, so I felt like I'm coming into a studio environment, which I'm familiar with, and then I thought I will just learn the rest as I go. It will have to be some experimental, you know, learning and adaptation as I go. So I was excited and nervous and anticipating a a learning experience. And you do public speaking as well as part of your uh, work. So was there much adjustment or adaptation to make from that sort of performance to the performance in a very small dark booth? Yes. Well, that word you use, performance, because speaking to a group in a conference setting, for example, but I also will run training. So I might only have six to 15 people in a room. And so you build up a lovely intimate connection with them Mm. throughout the course of a workshop. In a speaking situation in a large room, a conference venue, you could have 300 people, 600, 800. One of the gigs I did last year was 2,500 in one of those big American conference centres. You know, there's people everywhere. Big PA, so all that sort of harsh PA. That's right. Booming, echoing. There Mm. were lots of those technical things to deal with. But the performance, that's, that's an interesting point because you deliver your information and you get 
get something back. You mm. get people's faces, you hear laughter at the points you'd like to hear laughter. So you get feedback and narrating your own book you don't. <laughs> you don't. Well, as I've pointed out in the past when I'm having these conversations, what you get is the voice coming into your headphones saying, you're going to have to go back and do that again because you did it wrong. So what, what feedback you do get is when you've made a mistake. Mm. It's not positive reinforcement. That's right. You are learning something. So you, you trip up on something, like when you trip on a, the join in the concrete on the footpath. You go, whoop, oh, that's a bit uncomfortable. We turn around and look at the look at the bit of concrete we tripped on, and <laughs> it's similar. You, you go back, you look at the part of the book where you made a blip, and then you just pick up at a relevant spot and then try and get back into it, try and get back into that rhythm or that style that you were just in. So speaking of concrete, were there changes you had to make to the text? Were there things that just weren't going to translate from the physical page, you know, breakout boxes, charts, graphs, tables, anything like that? Not so many. There was one page where it's a separate, self-enclosed kind of description mm. of something. I've got quite a few illustrations in there, so, but I didn't narrate the illustration. <laughs> uh, apart from that, no, it was more uh, where you write for reading. So you're talking about the book, you know, as you're reading this book or as I'm writing this book for you. So we would stop and fix that and say, as you're listening to this book, yes. as I'm telling you this story. Mm -hmm. So we're adjusting those little pieces of uh, comprehension or, or language. When you conduct a seminar or a workplace training event, are you reading from a prepared script or are you sort of extemporising? Yeah, no script. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. script. So I've got some improvisation training in my background. Right. And then... The training I'm delivering is stuff I've created myself. So it's my own intellectual property, which I've evolved and, you know, dived into and yeah. really fleshed out. So I, I would say it's a big it's a big part of me and I would draw on stories and examples as I go. So yeah. no script. So when you're going into that, you've got maybe um, an outline mm. of bullet points of mm. what you need to cover. You've maybe got a few tried and true anecdotes that you string in along the way. Yeah. But then when you come in to do the audio book, you actually are tied down to the text. You are. Do you read your text as you write when you're actually creating the books? Do I read my text as, as I write? I mean. No, I tend to uh, write, 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 and then <laughs> tidy it up later. Okay. <laughs> so in, in mentoring some people about writing books, uh, that's that's been some big advice is don't don't write it and then reread it aloud or in your head. It's it's I'm just trying to get the ideas down and I'll polish it up later. Yeah. Was there anything that caught you off guard when you were recording? Uh, not so much off guard, but the next day. So I'd done a, a morning or a half day and then I was coming back the next day and I had a terribly sore back. So I had mucked myself up the way I was sitting. So mm. I would prefer, you know, next time if I did it again, I would really get comfortable and sit back in the chair and make, you know, the microphones and everything get adjusted to that. Yeah. Rather than I was sitting on the edge mm. or I was leaning forward and getting into it, but not realising that that was then going to put a spasm into my 
into my back. And I'm not a sore back kind of person, but you could tell. It's really important to be comfortable because Mm. otherwise you're probably, you know, either not going to do your best on the day or you're going to suffer consequences the next day. We do have a very large array of colourful cushions. I think people think they've gone overboard on the soft furnishings. No, you need them. So people can just get whatever support they need in whatever place. That's right. Put a cushion here and a cushion there and wedge yourself so that you're really comfortable and can hold that position. Did you do anything to sort of prepare vocally warm up beforehand? Mm, so I had some um, experience working in radio broadcasting and doing some voiceovers years and years ago when I was much younger. I used to do, you know, some voices for sports girl, fashion, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, the sale 20% off. So I, I got out some of my original uh, tongue twisters, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. So I would say those sorts of things as I was getting my breakfast ready or uh, driving here and then humming. Mm, mm, humming's mm, good, isn't it? Yeah. To, to warm up the vocal cords so you come in, you're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. So after the event, was there anything you think, oh, I would have liked to have done differently or I wish I'd tried that or this or you were pretty happy with? Yeah, I was. There wasn't much. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. I thought, oh, am I coming back again tomorrow you know, to read some more? So it was a really enjoyable experience because my book was about perfectionism. If you don't come in with a perfectionist mindset saying, I'm going to be good at this, but if you come in going, okay, I'm I'm going to share my book, but I will be learning along the way about the whole recording and production process and, and the best way to transmit my idea, that's a good mindset to come with. Do you visualise a listener that you're sharing the story with one person as yes. opposed to you've yeah. two and a half thousand or your group? <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I was thinking of people that I know who were audiobook fans anyway yeah. and a couple of colleagues in New Zealand who I know listen to audiobooks on their commute, whether they're driving yes. or on the bus. So I was thinking of them going, okay, my, my voice is going to be coming out of the speakers in their car as they're driving through that beautiful New Zealand scenery. <laughs> and, yeah, I wanted to talk to them. Great. Yeah, I think the car analogy is a good one because... You know, when you're in a car, you're looking ahead of you, hopefully, as you're driving along. But just that voice in the passenger seat telling you a story, mm. you know, on a long road trip. Yes. I think that audiobooks can have the same effect. That's right. Did it take longer than you expected? No, I think it was quicker. I felt like we were nearly going to get through it in in one sitting in half a day, but came back the next day, I think, to finish the second half of it. So to not push yourself and think, oh, I can do this all in one mm. in one go. No. Yeah, look, sometimes, you know, you think, oh, it's a bit of a drag to have to come back a second day. But if you push through on the first day, then maybe by the end of the book, the energy's flagging and that becomes apparent, mm. you know, to the listener. Your voice is an instrument mm. and it's resonating, resonating around your head and you are not used to speaking that much, you know, for that duration of time on that topic in that way of sitting and, and thinking and reading. So it's not something we're familiar with and therefore I wouldn't push to try and get it all done mm. in one sitting. You'll have a craggy voice by the yeah. end of the day, which won't sound as sweet as when you first started. Mm. You've written a number of books previous to each the book you recorded here. So why did you feel that having an audio book of Ish was an important part of your business model. Mm. The earlier books were about um, visual thinking, sense-making, facilitation, agile ways of working. They were quite visual. There were lots of visual 
um, icons and templates in there. And up until that point, I didn't prioritise audiobook, but with the book Ish, I was deliberately going for a wider market. I did have distribution, so I did end up in places like Dimmock's bookstores and on shelves in, you know, people would be buying it from Booktopia and wherever else. Yeah. And my view was this message needed to be personally delivered, that yes, you could just read a book, but for me to deliver this message personally was something that might help people. Do you think also that the wider and wider continuing take up of audiobooks may have influenced your decision? You know, there's so many around now, so many people are accessing them, particularly in the area in which you work. It's a real growth industry. Yeah, it is, absolutely. And with some of the, you know, welcoming benefits to signing up to subscriptions and things like that, I think the use of audiobooks as relaxation, as distraction, so to put Mm. the headphones on and and block out the rest of the world, or that whole multitasking thing of I'm going for a walk yes. and I'm going to listen to my book, or at the gym, or flying, travelling. You know, there's just so much dual use of being able to listen to a book and not feel like I'm wasting time. Yes, absolutely. Did the two books, the print edition and the audio edition, come out at the same time? Closely. I think there are a few weeks or a month or so between them. And being a self published author, that was something I couldn't. You know, I was doing my best to coordinate because <laughs> it's just me, basically, me and a, a business manager who assists me in my business. So I was trying to kind of coordinate everything to drop at the same time, but not quite, not quite. But, you know, the book's about imperfection. So, you know, <laughs> near enough. Do you think there anything you'd have done differently in the process throughout the whole journey of this book? Oh, lots of things in <laughs> reflection, in reflection. But I, I was also about this is this is the first book that's going to go wider and further and audio and and an e-book and a hard copy book so you know that open to learning open to imperfection people don't notice as much as you think you know that that <laughs> bias the spotlight effect so i wasn't i wasn't too stressed about it and i'm still not now, I mean, at the time there was one issue with the barcode that caused me more grief uh, that the printer printed the wrong barcode on my book. Initially, <laughs> <laughs> the first batch that came out, and it uh, ended up having the same barcode as some chakra balancing person. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so we ended up crossing paths, which was a bit quirky. But once that got got sorted out, then it was just on the path of okay, I've, I've got to let people know that this is out there in different formats. Yeah, well. I was going to say, are there different marketing sort of opportunities or hitches for the different formats, the audio, the ebook, the print? Um, well, that's something, you know, you could do better. Absolutely. I just put it out there and on my blogs and a newsletter website, let clients know. And I also noticed like Audible was promoting it for a while. So right. it kept, when I would get one of their e-news ads, it was there for several weeks. So a few people like that and Dimex and Booktopia got on it and and helped promote it, which was not something I was, you know, deliberately trying to do. I did look at your book on Audible the other day and it did have star ratings as well, oh, which good. I really can't remember how many or, but they were reasonably high. You yeah. know, it certainly wasn't one or two stars. It was more than that. So... So people do often, you know, look at those star ratings and it's, you know, we're pack animals, we follow That's the leader. Right. <laughs> it's social proof, right? We yeah. want to know what do people think about this? 
and those, they're legitimate. I haven't gone out, been very deliberate about this, not asking people, please review my Mm. book or please like it. I just don't do that at all. And I'm more interested in letting that organic nature of it, if people like it, they'll rate it. And I was thrilled to see a couple of people who had read it and rated it. And now, you know, a year or so later, it's interesting that people who've got it in their collection and they're finally reading it and they're going, oh, my God, I should have read this a while ago or I read it and loved it and now I've got the audio book so I can listen to it in my car or I can listen to it while I'm commuting. Yes, I think with books in this realm that that's often the case that people want to go back and dip in yes. again and again. Yes. Just they might not listen to the whole thing but just to let's pick up this chapter on that, just to refresh our memories about it. Definitely. I've heard lots of tales of that. And people sending me messages, emails saying, you know, you've travelled in the car with me over these last (laughs) few weeks, encouraging me to do this, that and the other. And then them sharing the implication or the effects that the story of the books had on them. That's great. That's a great thing to hear. Mm. Mm. So with with it being on Audible, which is a huge platform, Mm. do you think it has the potential to expand your business model for the work you do person to person? I know you said you have spoken in the States before, but do you think there's potential for there to be more of those opportunities for you now? Yeah, I think so. And that US thing came after the release of the book. So it was, I'd been booked in for that months before, but... um, I've certainly had some speaking gigs since then and people seeking mentoring from me and introducing them to other aspects of my business, that it's not the only thing I do. So, yeah, there's been a, a definite uptick in connections and contact from people and work that was coming in associated with the, the whole book and the release of it. Well, that's great. Lynn, I think that one question that a lot of authors who want to create an audiobook or indeed any book have is how do you distribute it when you self-publish? So firstly, how did you go about that with the print edition? I uh, got a contact through the PR person I ended up using. So Scott Ethorn from Quickmark Media helped. I worked with him for about three months getting some great media releases and articles in business press that worked out. And in the early days of talking to him, he suggested Woods Lane, a distribution company, and they were able to just kind of slot me in. Originally, when I'd approached them, they didn't have any availability. They didn't want, you know, didn't want to know about me, <laughs> which I think is the kind of case. It's pretty yeah, it's tough. it's off the fear, right? isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who is this person? Yeah, you might have written a few books. And this, this idea of being an independent you know, writer and independent publisher. There's no one behind me, you know, publishing. I'm doing it all myself, you mm. know, and just drawing on the resources of people. So Woods Lane, if I supplied them, they were able to then get the book into some places. It wasn't anywhere near what I would have liked, but it got into some outlets. So that was a good, you know, way better than what I'd achieved before. Is it the case that if it then gets into a few outlets and develops some momentum that then other outlets might come along and go, Oh, hey, this one seems to be a winner. Um, I'm not sure how that yeah. that side of the business works, but what I know is that I can track every month. They send me reports on where the book's selling and you could just see it's people going into shops and ordering it. So they're walking in 
and that the book is able to be ordered directly through the staff member over the counter. Then it gets dispatched from Woods Lane in their regular... So it doesn't even have to be on the shelf. No. It's people seeking it out. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And what about the e-book? That was through who printed the book for me, so Ingram Spark, and you just press a button that says convert to e-book. So that's <laughs> what I did. <laughs> Pay you $40, $50 or whatever it is. And and I'd been down that path of getting things converted to e-books before, and I just said, it's a nightmare. You know, somebody fix this. And they have. It takes a few weeks, so that's part of that coordination. You might want to map out before you start if you're trying to make everything land and drop at the one time uh, is to just find out how long things take and and work that into your plan. Yeah, well, because the audiobook production, I mean, we need a certain period Mm. of time because we record it and then we send it off for quality control checking Mm -hmm. and then it comes back and we may need to do editing or pick up. So, you know, it's not a long period, it's not months, but it's certainly weeks Mm. that you need to factor in. Yeah. Yeah, and I was working on versions of this book because it's about iteration and imperfection. I'd had some earlier versions of the book out there And then there was a point where I said, right, stop, final changes, this is the version I will record. So I had a a hard date of when this is finished and now I'll go into the studio and record it. So how's the audiobook being distributed? Through Authors Republic. Uh, and then there's a bit of a leave it to them. They make sure it goes out to the sources and the places where people like to, you know, a lot of people have individual preferences of how they like to listen to their book or where they buy them from. Mm. And then I just get a little magical payment in my <laughs> come through <laughs> PayPal saying a, a warning first, hey, you're about to receive your your uh, royalty payment and then boom, in it comes. And you go, this is great. <laughs> this is great. People have been buying my my book. And you, of course, have a website for your business. So yes. can people buy it on your website um, or do you direct it towards the... Yeah, yeah. I direct them to, um, to the places that I know have been supplying the hard copy book quickly. So yeah. they've had, you know, they're good, reliable. You can buy the book for me. I'll supply it as well. Um, and then, yeah, just links to where they can get it. Great. Yeah. And it's won a couple of awards, this book. Yes, it has. It has. So there was a, a, an event, uh, the inaugural Australian Business Book Awards. So it received a PR and media award. I got some massive PR coverage. Um, it was on TV, was on radio, lots of articles and just got it got a really good swag of media for that. And then there was another award just a couple of months ago with the Global Speakers Federation. So the body that, that represents all of the national speaking agencies around the world, it won that overall Global Speakers Federation Award. Right. And, uh, and the prize for that was a, a book publishing package with oh, wow. um, Indie Experts. So it's a, a company that helps independent publishers. So that's for my next book, like the next, next one. The next book you're working on is uh, pretty much imagery. It's very visual, so we won't be doing an audio book. No, that's right. It's uh, on each page. There's a picture because I do a lot of visuals on my iPad to explain things, and and then just some short texts. So that's a full color book, the coffee table kind of book. And so mm. I don't imagine that's got audio <laughs> application. But then the one after that, I'm 
already starting to gather information and ideas on that. That will be an audio book for sure. So Um, I will be back. Great. So overall, in summary, ish audio book, cost benefit analysis in the plus? Not from direct sales. I don't think independent. (laughs) Well, if you're in book publishing, publishing your own book, thinking that you're going to make a ton of money, you're possibly mistaken. You're sadly mistaken. It's for different purposes than that. You know, it's part of the broader business model. Yeah, Yeah. and some people call it a door opener. Is that you can go and promote it, which then generates inquiries to other aspects of your work. Yeah, that's the that's the way to to look at it. And yes, that is absolutely generated. You know, lots of additional work, lots of interest, lots of inquiries, which has then enabled me to keep that relationship going and and work with people on different projects. Well, I'm very pleased <laughs> to hear that. So if people want to track you down, Lynn, it's your website is Lynn Kazali, so dot com. That is right. So thank you for coming in and sharing your experience. I'm sure many people find it valuable to hear about it, so we appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great to come back here. Fond <laughs> memories, you know. It's not like going to the dentist. It's like coming here and you go, yeah, I had a really good time. This is great. This was a great experience. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to the Audiobook Podcast, brought to you by Square Sound. If there's something that we haven't covered in our audiobook series that you'd like to know about, send us a message at studio.squaresound.com.au. The audiobook podcast was produced by Marianne Plaza together with Abby Holmes and Justine Sloan-Lees. With special thanks to all our guest speakers, Square Sound is an audiobook and podcast studio in Melbourne, Australia. Thanks for listening.